Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm your only host, Corwin Heller. The only one that counts, baby. Only one that counts. Hey. Uh, yeah, man, it is, uh, it is, it is Pi Day. It is, it is March 14th, and um, there's still... A slow trickle of things happening as we get ready for the MLB start of the new MLB season coming up in a few weeks. Uh, there has been also a couple fun contract things happening in the world of football. Um, luckily, for once, for once, um, news broke before we recorded instead of after we recorded. Um, but it's funny because it is uh, 5.45 as we're talking right now. And had we recorded the show when we normally record the show at 11 a.m., we would have missed <laughs> plenty um, because in the last uh, hour and a half, two hours, uh, Drew Brees has announced his retirement and the Saints have announced a restructuring of Taysom Hill's contract. So since those are the two most current developments, um, Corbin, you want to start there? Yeah, absolutely. So Which I one? guess... I guess let's start with the Drew Brees retirement because we've kind of talked about it a, a bit already, and it's not it's not the newsiest news that could have news today. Um, I think we all kind of expected this, and by kind of I mean a lot. Um, so I'm not much. Oh no! What do you think about the official official news now? Again, I mean, it, I think it is very, very non-surprising, unsurprising. Holy shit. I, that was a long pause to get the word wrong. Um, <laughs> we all kind of saw this coming. I don't think anyone actually expected Drew Brees to come back. I'm sure there were some closeted Saints fans in there uh, basically thinking he was going to come back, bring him to a Super Bowl. This was all this, you know waiting all this time spent knocking at the door since their last Super Bowl appearance, always being right there contending that, you know, he was going to come back, announce a one-year deal, and he was going to bring him to the promised land. Nobody else thought that. Uh, and honestly, I don't think the Saints would have had any capacity to bring him back uh, with their cap situation, um, you know, which we've talked about in the past and we will talk about again today. Uh, it is just way too fucked up. It's just way too packed uh, for that to be effective. So here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Um, Drew Brees, who was a former, you know, like you could almost lock it in the 5,000 yard passing season uh, who kind of winnowed his way down to being, I'm just going to complete every single pass I throw without seemingly having to try very hard. He went from being Mr. 5,000 yards to Mr. 75% completion percent. Um, and yeah, it, and while it's awesome, it's at the same time, he did so as a result of age and he adjusted really, really well to his age. But as they say, father time catches up with all of us. And while he still did throw for over 70% completion um, this past season, it was his lowest completion percent since 2016, and he didn't cross 3,000 yards. Granted, he missed four games, but still, um, he definitely wouldn't have crossed 4,000 had he played those additional four games. And 
you know, he he took his team as deep as his team could go, either how they're currently constructed or with him at the helm, however you want to kind of look at it. And he's here's a guy who who has won MVP, who's won Walter Payton Man of the Year, who's won a Super Bowl. Um, he's done a lot in his career. And I'm so sure he wanted to go out the Peyton Manning way. You know, that one last game. And then he's like, all right, all right, cool. Fucking did it. I'm fucking done. Everything hurts. I want to die. Um, unfortunately, in life, you don't get to kind of just make that shit happen. And he stepped out at a good time. Um, I would not. I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints had been asking him about his decision to kind of gauge where they'd be with the cap, especially since the Taysom Hill contract restructuring came out like, like literally less than an hour after he retired. Um, but There's at the same no time, those, those weren't, you know, yeah. really released or, you know, released in unison. Right. Right. Like it, they, they, they had to. So I'm not going to sit here and say that they nudged him towards retirement because I think that is something the saints probably would not have done just out of deference to breeze, but they certainly were asking about it. Um, but no, I, it, I think it's, it's, it's easy to look back at the saints recent, you know, past two, three years of playoff appearances and look at that and say, Drew Brees didn't quite get what he wanted. Um, or at least it was maybe you, you might say these last few years were a letdown, but I don't, I don't think so. And I might be arguing to a point that nobody's making, but you know, Drew Brees for all of his foibles um, has brought, I mean, he made, he made the Saints fucking relevant for the first time in their entire franchise history. Um, and that is a monumental feat when anyone does it for any team. Um, mm-hmm. So, he is going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Ring of Honorer. Um, yeah, he, dude's a fucking local legend down there, and he's an NFL legend. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. You know, unanimous selection type deal. Like we all know, it's coming. Um, you know, it's it's great that a Chargers quarterback is finally going to get selected to the Hall of Fame and and be remembered for eternity. Um, there's going to be two. It's going to be Philip Rivers and Drew Brees. Well, you know, if we really had to. Neither of whom finished their career with the Chargers. I thought, you know, Philip Rivers is a better Chargers quarterback than Drew Brees was. I mean, Drew Brees is just such a better quarterback after his career. You know, I, I don't think you could argue that ever. Uh, so definitely, you know, best Chargers player of all time, best Chargers QB of all time. In all seriousness, though, where do you have Drew Brees all-time quarterback rankings? Where is he? Like, where does his career stand? Is he top three guy, top five guy, top 10 guy, top 15 guy? Too gray oh, of man, an area to argue. Really tough question. Well, I, I think it's tough because it's also very recent and you're not going to get a good read on a guy like Bruce until maybe a few years out, especially cross comparing over um, time periods. Cause you know, if you want to compare Drew Brees to Johnny Unitas it might be kind of fucking hard um, right. since they played in such vastly different uh, uh, time periods. And that I think it's easier with baseball and basketball and to some extent hockey, but with football, it feels 
uh, just looks like a moot point. Um, I probably. Idea. No, you finish your thought then, if you're still going. Def- definitely top 20. Mm-hmm. Definitely top 15. Maybe top 10. I'll say I'll say he's a top 10 quarterback all time. Okay. I'm going to name two uh, I'm going to name a quarterback. You tell me which is higher. Kurt Warner. Oh shit, that's a great question. Nah, Drew Brees. Okay. Um Johnny Unitas. But like fuck. <laughs> like um cuz when you talk about those right, guys, it's like Keep keep him out. Keep him out. I'll keep him I, I, I can't. All right. John Elway. This would be a very controversial opinion if we were asking our fathers, but I'm going to go with Drew Brees. Okay. Because I know both of our fathers would pick uh, um, Elway. Elway. All right. Uh, Jim Kelly. Still Drew Brees. Okay. Dan Marino. Dan Marino. Okay. Uh, getting more modern. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Oh man, that's fucking tough. Man, that's fucking tough. At, oh god, damn it! I hate this one. I do not like this one. I do not like this one one bit. Well, they gotta get harder. Pass. All right, pass. pass. Uh, Steve Young. Is he modern enough for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, probably still Breeze. Okay. Um, so for skipping Rogers, uh, I guess Philip Rivers. Breeze. Okay. You know, Big Ben. Breeze. Yeah, I mean, even as a Steelers fan, I'm I'm going Breeze hands down. Uh, I, that kind of just leaves the big three of. Joe Montana. Pass. It's it, it's close now. I need a few years between Breeze's retirement and today to really get a judgment. Peyton Manning. Manning. Okay. So then, obviously, Tom Brady. Tom Brady's better. Um, Brady. Yeah, yeah, I was trying. I was trying to ramp it up a little bit. I'm not going to follow up. I get you know, it. I get Aaron Rodgers with like uh, fucking Trent Dilfer. Yeah, and what makes it tough is, like, what's Rodgers going to look like when he's at Breeze's age? Should he play that long? You know, because because I'm, I'm even now, like, doing this, and, you know, everyone likes to think they have a good perspective on things, um, even when it might be a, a just poor timing to have a perspective on things like Drew Breeze's career. Um, it's tough to look at Breeze and not think about the breeze we've seen for the last three or four years and not remember the guy who fucking throw, he threw for like, all right, how many times did he throw for over 5,000 yards? Hold on. Um, three, let's four. see. One, two, three, four, five times. Whoa. Five times. There was a stretch of three seasons where he threw for over 5,000 yards each season. And then he threw for 4,952 yards and then 4,870 yards and then 5,208 yards again. Like, so he threw for, for 500 yards, sorry, 5,000 yards uh, four times in six years and just barely didn't make it the other two years. I mean, it's, it, it was a, it was a, a fucking machine with that shit. So, 
it's it, it's it's tough to look at the Drew Brees who ended his season this past year on a noodle arm throw and go, that guy's better than Rodgers. But at the same time, Drew Brees in this fucking prime. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, that's why I didn't want to say he like was better than Rodgers, but it's way closer than what we're talking about with this last season's Drew Brees. I mean, I'm sure we could do a, a pretty detailed breakdown, you know, comparing the two and, and it would get pretty interesting. I personally think Aaron Rodgers is a, I would prefer having Aaron Rodgers on my team to Drew Brees. Um, it's also one of those things where if I have the choice between either, I don't care which choice I make. It's, it is one of those things where it's, you know, three, four, four, five, or, you know, I don't know where I'd have Joe Montana, honestly, but you know, he's in there it's neck and neck and it's, it's which one of the two is, is just style preference, honestly. Right. I, yeah, I'm with you. So let's talk about, uh, uh, you know, if, if Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees are three, four, let's talk about the fifth best QB of all time. Uh, Taysom Hill. Trent Dilfer. Oh. Trent Dilfer. <laughs> oh, um, like the worst yeah. quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Loved it. So Taysom Hill has restructured his contract um, with the Saints, which is something that Corwin and I said that they were likely to do when we last talked about cap space because um, the Saints were in a severely bad position and needed to do um, fucking something. And um, they were over the cap by, at the time, because spot check has now updated itself. I think at the time we talked last, the saints were over the cap by like $24 million. Um, Drew Brees res- uh, resigning, retiring left, let's left them with just a little over um, 12 million over the cap. And now, uh, and Taysom Hill was due 16 million against the cap this season, which is hilarious for your maybe starting probably backup quarterback. Um, so, they did a really fun and funky restructuring of the Taysom Hill deal in order to minimize the amount of money they'll have to give him over the course of uh, over this year and over the course of the next couple of years. And it uses a principle that Corn and I accidentally talked about a little bit on Thursday's episode, last Thursday's episode, when we were talking about, um, oh, fucking whose contract was that we were talking about? With the void year? Um, yeah, I can't honestly can't remember who we uh, talked about at all last week. Um, totally fucking gone. Yeah, I don't remember that shit at all. Has left the building. Whatever. Uh, well, we talked about it last week, so if you don't remember and I don't remember, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but the whole concept behind these 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 void years is that you can. So here, first, let me get into uh, Taysom Hill's contract. It's a four-year, $140 million extension. The only Which, other QB, the only other player to ever sign that contract is Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah, that's that's some serious fucking money. That's it's $35 million a year. Or $30 million a year. I mean, it, it's no, $35. I was heard the first time. Shit. Third. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. I was right the first time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and 
It's so bad. My mental math was a lot better in college because they didn't let us use calculators on tests. But now that I work a job, I just use Excel and uh, I don't have to think. Anyway, um, so it's a four-year, $140 million contract, which you might say, hey, that's fucking stupid. And it is because all of the years are voidable, which allows you to, um, which allows them to save cap space somehow. Um to the tune that they'll be essentially saving um, $7.5 million in cap space this upcoming season. Now, how does voidable years affect cap space? To be fully honest, I'm not quite sure. Um, so the way Track has his uh, contract as it stands right now, his cap hit in 2021 is set to be $8.4 million. Now, that was... Um, $16 million. So this did save that 7.5 that I had talked about, that I read off this Adam Schefter tweet I just read. And then in 2022, it'll be 7.75 million. 2023, uh, 1.9 million. And then it'll be 1.9 million for 2023, 2024, and 2025. But he becomes a free agent after next season. So in 2022, he's an unrestricted free agent. It's just a wacky fucking contract. It made sense until you read that all out. I don't know if it's been updated. Uh, I don't know how they... I, I don't know if it's correctly updated, I should say. I, I don't know. It's one of those things where things have gotten so fucking weird with the salary cap this year, and they're going through so many of these loopholes that are unheard of, you know, or at least were previously, that I, I'm struggling to keep up. Um for sure. It's definitely something where, you know, we might have to wait until the end of free agency to really go through and break down all these changes. And, and when we go through, you know, all the, the major roster moves, hopefully by then we'll have a better understanding of, of what these cap maneuvers do and how it will affect these teams long-term. Right. Sorry. I'm just trying to read a little bit more about the, uh, the void years. I um, guess it's just, I, 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 from what I'm reading on over the cap, it seems like deferred money in baseball. Essentially, if they go through with those years. If they go through with those years. Like if they don't void the contract at that point. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot. That is a Interesting. lot. Interesting. Wacky. Okay. It, it's funny. Like I see just like the flashing colors change on your face. And it's just like a, at some point it's like a strobe light. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying out new. I meant to mention this because I keep forgetting. Um, to say things at the top of the episode, but I've been trying, I want to try out different lighting setups because I can never see my own face because of mm -hmm. like the way that just the lights in this part of my apartment are set up. Um, so I got like this little portable LED light thing, but mm -hmm. I, I guess it's charged just fucking sucks because it keeps dying. And um, so if you're watching this on YouTube, it's like a mess because um, my face keeps going from like relatively well lit to dark. And in between, it flashes red because that's like this, I guess, the warning sign that the thing is dying. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a calamity. It really is. Um, 
but we're trying, man. Honestly, it's better than looking like you're recording from a hospital bed like some people in this episode. Mostly because I, I need yeah, to Yeah, yeah, it looks like you're... Bed. I fucked my back up real good today, but, you know, all things considered. The joys of golf. Yeah, that's okay, buddy. Set a new personal best today. I saw, I saw 105. Hell yeah, baby. Yeah, that's right. You're getting down into human temperature levels of golf. It's funny. My best four holes were the four holes after I blew my back out where I was just like no practice swings, just like I'm just going up. I'm swinging it just to get to the end. And as soon as I took all mental consideration out of the game, I was hitting it beautifully. That's how, yeah, that's how it goes. Corwin Howler, first man in history to blow his own back out. Uh. I was I was playing with my old roommate Dan, who I haven't seen in a, quite a while now. Finally, we're able to get together. He also made that joke after I blew my back out. Fucking assholes. Yeah, I gotta love Dan, except for all his Boston fandom. Um, all right, there. so that's the basic idea behind the Taysom Hill contract restructuring. It's a bunch of cap bullshit. Um, what I don't know is what the advantage is to the voidable year versus the um, conversion into uh, signing bonus. I don't get... It allows that signing bonus to be spread out for the full length of the void. Even if you void it, that signing bonus is prorated for the, the full term of the contract. Oh, okay. I now see this. So they had the voidable years to get the net extra years for the AAV. Now I see because he only had one year left on the deal, which means if they convert it into signing bonus, it still all goes against this year's cap. Okay. Now I'm with it. Yeah. That may, All right. That makes sense. So so the part that I didn't get, I'll explain just for, in case anybody else listened to this and didn't get it. Um, see, there it goes. Uh, <laughs> when you... <laughs> when you convert base salary into signing bonus, what you do is you take that part of a player's uh, due wages and you can spread it out against the cap over the lifetime of the contract. So if you have a player who signed a five-year, $50 million contract, just to keep the numbers easy, he's due $10 million a year. Let's say that you're $5 million over the cap for this season. So what I can do is I can take I can ask player X, hey, can I take $6 million from your base salary this year, turn that into signing bonus money, which means I'll pay it. uh, I I can spread out that $6 million over the next five years in how it's approached on the cap. So this way, instead of being over $5 million, I'm under by $1 million. And I just kind of, uh, I pay you out as a signing bonus each year. Um, to help mitigate my uh, cap burden. The part that I didn't connect was that in order to have those years to spread them out, the Saints added these voidable years so that Taysom Hill, who was on, who had one year remaining on his contract, would have years to average out his signing bonus cap change. So the way that the Saints did it was they took that, um, I guess, seven and a half million, or no, $9.686 million, turned that into cap, uh, turned that into a signing bonus, and then spread that out, out over the five years in his new 
restructured contract this year and the four years that they tacked on afterwards. Correct. So that he has this four-year extension now or this four-year deal worth $140 million. He's going to get cut after this season almost regardless. Uh, there's the dead cap for that prorated signing bonus the remaining three seasons, but the $35 million salary is voided. So those will not count against the cap. They will not have to pay that money out. Just his guarantees signing bonus that's prorated will need to be paid and will count against the cap moving forward. Basically how the Steelers, you know, re-sign all of these, all of their players to extensions uh, to ease with the salary cap. That's how many they're, how they are able to afford so many high salary players. They restructure contracts, give them a big signing bonus that they then extend and spread out which is why when Big Ben retires, our rebuild is likely going to be a little bit shittier, a little bit harder, a little bit more drawn out than most other teams, or at least, you know, we'll have to work more towards, you know, signing lower, lower cost players or continuing the cycle. Um, it just gives more flexibility year to year. That being said, the one downside is if you ever wanted to stop the cycle, you're in for a big hurt for a while, which inevitably is going to happen to every team. Yeah, especially as they except for Green Bay tactics, for some reason because uh, they just happen to draft two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back to back. Yeah, oh. it's it's a lot. Life's a lot easier when you do it that way. Drew Brees or Brett Favre. Drew Brees, because at his peak, you're getting basically the same number of yards, but with Brett Favre, you're getting um, all the interceptions, and with Drew Brees, you just never really got those interceptions. Right. Okay. Completely agreed. Uh, So, Taysom Hill, Drew Brees. Well, hold on. I want to ask real quick about about another part of this Taysom Hill business, uh, which is, why not just... uh, No, I guess he had the dead cap. I was going to say, why not just cut him? Um, but then you'd have to still pay against the cap or the money still affects the cap. The real question is why the fuck do they give him any money in the first place at all? Um, which we'll never be able to answer because we've been confused about that since it happened. Right. Um, I was just about to is, say the real question is why they would even do this in the first place. Right. I mean, like, like, like we said on Thursday, without it, um, they're fine. <laughs> yeah. He uh, He's not exactly great as their starting quarterback. I mean, I pulled up his stats just to look, you know, mentally and be able to reference it. They're not that good. I mean, granted, you know, his four starts at QB last year, better than expected. They they were able to work with what he offered and were able to win games. I just don't see it as a sustainable answer long term. Like he can't push the ball downfield the way you want a quarterback to nowadays. Yeah, he can run. He can do so many different things across the field. He's a versatile weapon. Cool. You could get that for a lot less than $35 million. Yeah, it's fucking wacky because uh, when you you see versatile weapons in baseball, it's like Brock Holt, who's going to get paid like $6 million a year, tops, maybe eight. I mean, like the versatility in baseball might be uh, less of a – nouveau concepts so maybe they're priced more appropriately and Taysom Hill I guess might be somewhat of an outlier but the problem is that just because you're versatile doesn't mean you're worth 
more just because you're okay to good at a lot of things doesn't mean you're worth getting paid like you're great at anything right you know like Mohamed Sanu when they asked him to throw the ball three four times a year he'd do it he'd, he'd throw it well he was still you know a very high-end wide receiver too for that team and didn't get paid 35 million dollars a year pretty much brought not the same, but very similar versatility to that team that you don't pay $35 million a year for. No, you shouldn't. Um, no, one, no one should. All right. So now that we've worked our way through the voidable contract years and made fun of Taysom Hill, let's look at another guy who, who's got, uh, a, who got a new contract <laughs> and um, has voidable years in it that I didn't talk about on Monday's episode because I forgot. Um, that's J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt signed with the Cardinals, which I don't think we ever talked about in any capacity. Um, he signed a two-year, $28 million deal with the Cardinals, but um, he is only on the roster for this upcoming season, 2021 and 2022. He becomes a, uh, an unrestricted free agent in 2023. However, he has um, voidable years, or a voidable year in 2023, um, which I don't again. I'm, I'm I'm guess I'm a little bit hazy on how it's all going to end up working or not. But regardless, the, so the the thing you need to do is forget about the voidable years. They're almost guaranteed to be voided. The only reason they're there is to stretch out that signing bonus. And, AAV, and yeah. AAV things like well, AAV doesn't matter. I mean, it's well, whatever. yeah. I mean, for the signing bonus thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, Voidable years are going to be voided almost certainly. Don't worry about them. Okay, I, I you're right. I got to just stop looking at him. Um, so he ends up getting he's going to get a 14 million dollar a year average salary. Uh, but he got 20 million dollars at signing. So here's how it's going to end up ultimately breaking down. In 2021, he has a 2.5 million dollar base salary. He got a 2.4 million dollar signing bonus. He carries with him a $4.9 million cap hit. The two numbers there put together. His dead cap, if he gets um, cut this season, is $20 million. Um, his yearly cash, which I don't think you and I ever actually truly figured out, is $14.5 million. Oh, I guess that's just eight. No, it's not AAV because next year's 13.5. Whatever. Ignoring it. Uh, next season, 2022, his base salary jumps up to $11.25 million. His signing bonus stays pat at $2.4 million. Uh, he gets a roster bonus of 2.25 million. His cap hit is 15.9 million, um, which is all three of those numbers smushed together. His dead cap is 15.1 million dollars, and yearly cash is 13.5, which brings him up to this total of 28. Um, there is also that voidable year in 2023 in which he is due uh, a 2.4 million dollar signing bonus and has a cap hit of 7.2 million dollars. Um, now there's two more years on spot track that are crossed out and I don't know why they're there because I don't think that's how they represented the voidable years in other people's contracts. It is not. So I'm, I'm hazy as to, I don't know why they're there, but they're there. Uh, in 2024 and 2025, um, he has a signing bonus of $2.4 million each year and a cap of $2.4 million each year, but they're crossed out and I don't know why and whatever. Point, I'm too afraid to ask. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, not, and I'm not sure. I, I'm just, I'm just not sure. I give a shit anymore. Uh, so Corwin, let's uh, okay. 
first point, um, what do you think about J.J. Watt signing with the Cardinals? Uh, man, I honestly didn't expect much out of that. I, I don't know why. I I never – well, not out of this, just out of the idea that he could go to the Cardinals. Um, you know, we saw Hassan Reddick. We saw Chandler Jones there. I know different positions, but regardless, edge rushers. I thought, okay, that's fine. I don't know if the Cardinals could necessarily afford J.J. Watt. I don't know how good of a fit that would be. But he signed there, and honestly, I, you know, as a what's going to essentially amount to being an interior uh, rusher, I'm almost certain that's how he's going to get used. I think he could work really, really well there. Uh, I think he would, you know, do exactly what the Cardinals need him to do, which is basically provide interior pass rush, you know, be effective in the run game and just be a, an imposing force on the defense that – has pieces, but isn't one of those top tier units. Uh, and I think now has a, a added ability to do so, uh, especially with Patrick Peterson not being in the picture anymore. So uh, I'm upset it's not the Steelers. I'm not surprised it's not the Steelers, but uh, I think it'll work out well. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to be one of those teams where, wow, you know, five years from now, it's like, wow, you remember when Ed Reed played for the Jets? No, of course not. I don't think it's going to be like, wow, you remember when JJ played for the Cardinals? I, I think he'll stick around for a few years and have enough of an impact for it to matter. Yeah, I mean, and even if it is just these two years, I mean, the, the Cardinals are primed to do some cool shit um, with how much talent they've gone out and acquired over the past couple of seasons. And with the fact that Kyler Murray has been exceeding, uh, well, at least my small expectations of him, um, which, hey, again, great for him. Love being wrong about that type of shit. So, yeah, um, I mean, two seasons, and especially in NFL time, it's a lot of fucking time. Um, so that, that might just be all they need, but we'll see. That'll be interesting. Yeah, it's definitely – there's going to be so much change going on this offseason. Uh, it's going to be crazy talking about this and, and remembering all of those things, you know, when the season actually starts or when training camp starts. Um but yeah, this is probably definitely, probably definitely going to be one of the big ones. There probably definitely indeed. Yeah. So I didn't remember that Ed Reed played for the Jets, and I looked it up, and he has he had three interceptions in in seven games, and I have no idea how I don't remember that. Because it was 2013, and that was a dark year. I I know it was, but fucking still, like, how do I not remember? Ed Reed on the Jets getting three interceptions in seven games. So weird. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Uh, yeah, oh, there was one other um, contract in, in football, I guess, with, that's what's that's worth talking about. Um, Tom Brady. Sign another extension. One year, $25 million. $20 million signing bonus. Asshole taking a massive fucking pay cut just to allow his team to go back and win another Super Bowl. This fucking guy. It's the very the Tom you Brady market thing rate so that your team will not succeed, you prick. Fuck. So once again, we have a bunch of uh, what look to be voidable years here. Um yeah. But they automatically void. Oh, that's interesting. 
So he has got the 2023 to 2025 years automatically void at the end of the 2022 league year. That's fucking hilarious. So it's like, yeah, they're here, but they're not here. Um, that's funny as shit. So Brady's 2022 contract extension, um, he gets $8.925 million in base salary. He gets an $8 million signing bonus. He has a $16.925 million cap hit, $40.925 million in dead cap, and a $23.925 million yearly cash. And then 2023 through 2025, he has in each year an $8 million signing bonus and uh, an $8 million cap hit, except for 2024, when he, or sorry, 2023, when he has a 24 million dollar cap hit um but again all those years automatically void after the 2022 season so they basically don't even exist um wow funky stuff i would hate to be an accountant for an nfl player oh yeah this doesn't make any fucking sense it's one of those things where it's like you hire the accountant from like the accountant just because you're like eh some shit's going to be fucky here. I want the guy who could defend himself. And, you know, I thought I'd be able to come up with something better during that whole bit, but I didn't. So I and got to Cameron Diaz gyrates on your car. <laughs> but that was the accountant, right? The movie, the accountant. Ben Affleck playing like a guy on the spectrum who's also an accountant hitman. Cameron the Ridley Diaz. Scott movie, right? Or whatever. No, Ben Affleck directed that. Oh, no, I'm thinking that. I want to uh, know what movie you're talking about. The Cormac McCarthy movie. You're wasn't not that the, narrowing this down at all. Wasn't that the accountant? Hold on. Hold on. We're going to figure this all out, folks. We're going we're gonna to get it all sorted. The counselor. the counselor. That's that's what it was. The counselor. Oh, this is so much more recent than I was expecting. Terrible movie. You show me that poster. Do you the only thing you show me about this movie is that poster, and I say I would refuse to watch this if you paid me money. Yeah, look at Javier Bard Javier Bardem's fucking hair. Tra- train wreck. I thought that was Robert Downey Jr. That was so fucking outrageous. Wow. I thought that was like, wow, they coked up Robert Downey Jr. again just to get him back in this movie. Hey, method acting. It's a it's a strategy. Why not? It's not Holy method shit. acting. It's meth and acting. <laughs> um, yeah, terrible movie. <laughs> oh, I broke him. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Damn, Josh, that's probably the best joke you've had on any podcast ever. That was fucking. Thanks, brother. That that one. I'm not saying that it's like you're not funny because you are. That was just. I appreciate that on on a lot of levels. That was fucking great. Because I act and do math. Yeah. Yeah. There. There. There you go. Full range of appreciation for that one. I dig it. Um. So yeah, not just, not the accountant. It's the counselor. That's what I meant. I'm just scrolling through this list of actors that are in it, and it's just fucking stupid. 
Yeah, that's because it was like it was like a big deal at the time, and then it <laughs> fucking flopped. It was so bad. John Luxamo is like the fifteenth person credited on this list. Yeah, I know it had so much potential, and then yeah, just no bueno. It made triple its budget, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I didn't get the critical reviews, and we all know that's what counts here. Ooh, let's go see what the reception was. Money? Ugh. I'm in for a swell swimming review from the New York Times. Uh, it has a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes, higher than I would have expected. A 4.91 out of 10? That seems way too high. Anyway. Do you want the New York Times? I can, I can give it to you. Corwin. We have to, that's a different podcast. We have to keep talking about sports now. Good because you would not like that review. So, why? It's a rave review. All right, Mr. McCarthy appears to have never read a screenwriting manual in his life, and that's a compliment. (laughs) Okay, moving on. (laughs) That's fucking weird. Um, so that's it for the NFL. There, there's been talk in baseball. There's nothing. There's no crazy, fun, exciting news in baseball, but there has been much discussion in baseball as there has been some new rules introduced for the minor league level. Um, in the past, the MLB has made agreements with the Atlantic League, which is one of the independent leagues in um, the world of the minor leagues, um, so technically not affiliated with Major League Baseball, where they tried out a few different rule changes, and now they're bringing those rule changes into the actual affiliated minor league ball system. So let's go over them now. Um, and we'll, there's no need to make great oration on any of these, I don't think, except for uh, one of them. So at AAA, uh, for anyone unaware, there's the highest level of minor league baseball uh, the size of the bases will increase from a 15 by 15 inch square to an 18 by 18 inch square. Um, basically, difference. basically what that's doing is it's artificially decreasing the distance between the bases. So you've artificially decreased by six inches the distance between first and second and second and third. why it's a stupid fucking question six inches a huge difference so it's not the the idea here is that if you make the bases a little bit closer you might get more stolen bases i am hesitant to say that's going to happen only because i'm not sure what the margins you're going to be off are and I'm not sure if it's going to greatly alter the success rate of the people who typically steal bases. I would hope it does. Um, but I'm not sure. Because the, the, the thing, of, the idea of it is you see a lot of, you know, bang, bang plays. And if you can get some percentage of them, those bang, bang outs to be <laughs> bang, bang safes, um, then stolen bases have more value. But the only thing this really does is it takes those snap plays from being three inches to the left of second um, to being three inches farther to the right. So you're still going to get bang, bang plays. They're just going to be three inches closer to the first base side of the bag. Um, Now, is 
the cumulative six inches going to be enough to get players to be safe who otherwise wouldn't have been safe? It's going to be some percentage increase. I'm not convinced it's going to be enough because I think more players get out due to um, not necessarily not reaching the bag in time, but trying to avoid tags and over sliding bags more than MLB thinks it does. And I don't think that the decrease in distance is going to uh, ramp up the safe percentage enough for it to really justify itself. But at the same time, that is pure speculation. Um, So we'll see. Yeah. This just kind of seems like at least at surface level, something that's just so minuscule. It doesn't really matter. But again, you know, I assume MLB knows more about baseball than I do. Well, We'll see how it goes. I'll ha- I'll be open about it. Yeah, this is something they did try in the Atlantic League, if I recall correctly, a few seasons ago. So they must have liked what they saw from it. Uh, I, I do hope stealing bases comes back in favor. I mean, it's a fun part of the game, but we'll see. Um, no, next rule change. At double A, efforts will be made to limit the shift and the way teams can position their infielders. So this has been a very hot button issue. Fucking this goddamn light um, on Twitter recently. So here's how the MLB is, is propositioning it. All teams must have at least four players on the infield during play, which defines, which is defined as having both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. So you have to have both feet in the dirt. Um, If the results of this rule change are deemed positive in the first half, the league may require teams to have at least two players on either side of second base in the second half, essentially these are gradual steps towards eliminating or reducing extreme shifts. So basically the first half of the season guaranteed um, MLB is going to have, uh, you have to have both feet in the infield. If it works to how they want it to, which it doesn't say what they're looking to get out of this. So there's no way we can really judge that ourselves since we don't know the intention. Um, then the next step would be you can only have two infielders on each side of the diamond, which would basically those two steps would almost entirely eliminate the shift. Francisco Lindor's comment actually put it in perspective for me where I'm now more open to it than I was previously, where his comment basically is surmised by, Hey, baseball is struggling enough to market itself. Now taking out, stellar defensive plays taking out you know offensive hits doesn't make the game more enjoyable for fans having these you know intense shifts where if a guy hits the ball you know pull side 95 percent of the time you put every guy in you know in the field on that side that's an automatic out unless he hits it out of the park or strikes out granted you could argue okay well he needs to learn how to hit to both sides of the field but at the same time it's you know these massive shifts you know shutting down entire parts of the field entertainment wise as a fan trying to get into the sport is it exciting it's not really fun okay uh, sense it, it kind of i get why someone might say it's against the spirit of baseball where you're supposed to have this spread out fielding team to cover the whole field and you know i get both sides of that argument believe me but 
I get why it would make it a more exciting game to have it set in stone that you have to have a certain number of players on certain sides of the diamond. See, I don't. I, I really don't understand what Lindor is talking about at all because I don't think cool. more weak hit singles or fielders being forced to run an additional three to six feet is really going to help the sport market itself. Well, I think of, think about all how, the like acrobatic Nolan Arenado, the acrobatic, you know, Matt Chapman, Francisco, Lindor, all these great defensive plays like the Derek Jeter, you know, twist and throw like the jump twist and throw. When you have three guys along that infield line there, you're not going to have those plays anymore. You know, for those. Well, you do. You just referenced Nolan Arenado, who is a player today. Right. But we know now that the implementation of the shift has only risen in the past couple of years. Where it is now is not where it's going to be in five years going along this path. It's only going to shift more and be used more once we, you know, learn how to utilize it more maybe or, you know, what have you. I, I do get what he's trying to say. I do. Again, and I, I don't, and I'm going to argue this point because I don't understand what new fan is going to be brought in by these rules. What new fans are going to get brought in by more ump authority? What, what fans going to get brought in by the fact that MLB will now have basically an offsides rule? You know what what I mean? It's going to get brought in more than, or more by the shift or, well, uh, that's exactly. So two years ago, Joey Gallo got a shift that had seven fielders, or sorry, six fielders on the right side of the diamond. And you still see that graphic going around baseball Twitter today because it was fucking hilarious that every single fielder that wasn't the left fielder and then the battery was on the right side of the diamond to try to account for Joey Gallo. Right, but that's a meme because it was the first time anyone's ever seen something like that. Right, and the idea that baseball has the liberty to do that is what makes baseball an interesting sport. You get to see true experimentation within the realm of status uh, statistics and possibilities of defensive positioning and taking away the creativity of front office implementation of those concepts. I don't see how that helps you. And then further, this really, really kills the conversation around bunting that has been growing over the last few years because of shifting and the idea of bringing back small ball in bunt singles to the uh, opposing side of the shift as a way to mitigate that resource. Yeah. Bunting sucks, but I hate bunting. it's a way to bring the, it's, it's the soft contact single that you're claiming people want. No, there's a difference want- between a contacts, you know, a ground ball to the shortstop or, you know, between short and third or short and second versus watching a guy trying to hit a ball three feet in front of him and just have it roll all the way down. You're right. I've never seen takes bun- more skill. <laughs> yeah, but it's not f- and more enjoyable. Why a bunt double isn't fun for you. Sure. A bunt double could be fun. So could a ground ball. I'm saying the ground a ball. A weakly is, hit ground ball is, up the middle that skirts over the second base bag is not fun. If you fun. let me finish, I'm saying a ground ball is more likely to be fun than a bunt. It's just probability. And I think the probability of 
a ground ball turning into a fun play is significantly higher than a bunt turning into a fun play. Because a bunt, if it is implemented in a way that it contrasts the shift and allows for runners to actually get on base in a meaningful and, and uh, productive fashion, is going to be more fun a higher percentage of the time than shit ground balls that players would have been okay. at. And now you have to listen to the commentators say, well, you know, last year with the shift, that probably would have gotten scooped up right away. And now every commentator is, is um, not Joe Buck, uh, John Smoltz talking about how baseball was better when he was playing because they changed the rules so drastically that that's now all there is to really say about weak hit ground balls going over places that otherwise would have had defenders. I Why am now change changing, the rules to I make am baseball now changing your my opinion. I'm now changing my opinion because I no longer want this rule to be changed because I don't care enough to even argue it. And it's just not worth spending any time arguing. Like this argument, in all honesty, is pointless. It's not changing how much I enjoy baseball. I doubt it's going to change how much anyone actually enjoys watching baseball. It's not worth having the argument in the first place. There's no reason to make this rule change. And, and cares. that's the thing that drives me fucking nuts about it is that there's no reason to make, again, it's not everyone who likes baseball to not everyone. I'm going to say a very high percentage of especially younger fans who watch baseball today are going to hate this. And other young people who don't watch baseball aren't going to watch baseball for this reason. If baseball, with all of its hard hit rates, all of its statistics, all of its home runs and doubles and cool statistical implementations of concepts that it does today can't market the game with everything it already has, this isn't going to fucking help it. It's looking backwards to try to retrofit ideas and viewership going forwards. And I don't know who it's for. And that's what's annoying about it is that if they had a real reason other than this is how baseball was played when I was a child... Um, then maybe maybe there's something to say about it, but it's just regressive. It's nothing but regressive. If teams decide that letting Joey Gallo start bunting singles all the time is how they want to do it because he keeps smacking 105-mile-an-hour line drives right to a guy and they don't want to do that anymore, then guess what? Joey Gallo's going to stop getting shifted so much if he starts bunting singles and doubles. And you know what? I'm about it. Joey Gallo at-bats are more fun because he gets the wildest shifts imaginable. They're eventually going to figure out how to put a man like on the outfield wall <laughs> to stop Joey Gallo from hitting home runs. And I want to see that happen. Um, it's <clears throat> like the stolen base one. Will it work? Will it not? Do we care? Who knows? This one. I just don't get why you'd do it. And then the, uh, the follow questions is like, can you imagine if um, Francisco Lindor lines up on the first base side of second base on the first base side of the left side of the right side of the diamond, what does the ump do? Does he tell him no, go back. And if Francisco Lindor dead. says no, pulls out, pulls out a six shooter, shoots him dead on the field. But like for real, like do they, what are they going to do? Eject him. I mean, like they can't, they can't issue balls and strikes for that. They can just not let the pitcher pitch until he lines up elsewhere. But what I'm saying, that's what I'm saying is like, what happens if he just keeps going? Like, I, no, I want to stand here. Then you eject him. 
Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's going to eventually, there's going to be a line somewhere, and it's going to be really rudimentary as to where and why. And to uh, get to see someone like Francisco Lindor possibly get ejected for standing on the wrong part of the baseball diamond just sounds dumb. If JJ Watt decides to line up hugging the quarterback and refuses to go back on his side, there's of the a penalty. Ball, there's a five yard to 10 yard penalty. Right. And what's the he penalty gets for baseball? If he says no. Well, but no, what I'm saying is no there's yardage, a penalty. There's no yardage, yep. in, but that's it. Does it's not a fair like assessment to say, oh, there should be some penalty. The penalty is if you don't do it, you get ejected. Well, no, Play, it's in not NFL, like, it's the like ejection is the second penalty. It's not the primary penalty. There's a first thing that happens. Right. That's the refusal to go back. No, it's in football. What you're you saying? What you're saying? It's yards. not if because it's not if. Oh, play starts while he's lined up on the wrong side. The ump controls that to begin with. There just won't be a play if he's lined up on the wrong side. And if he does while the pitcher's going through it, I'm sure they'll just call a balk. It's it's not a I don't think that's what we should be worried about. No, because you can't call a balk if there's nobody oh on the base God. paths. I, I and, do not care about this in any capacity. I hate that we're arguing about this. Well, no, my, my point is it doesn't even have a net have, have to necessarily be that he genuinely, genuinely starts over there. What stops him from just running across the base path before while the pitch is getting delivered? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like you call a balk. But there's no one on the base paths. What's the penalty? You they make one. I, I hate it's like, oh, where do we draw the line in the sand? Wherever we say the line in the sand is, oh, there's no penalty for it. Okay, we'll make a penalty. And what what if is we're it? changing the rules? We'll we'll make it it doesn't matter. It could be anything. It could say, hey, automatic runner advance. Cool. You just got intentionally walked to first base. Oh, that'd be ridiculous. Because he cheated and ran across. And you're rolling your eyes, but that's how every rule in any sport works. It's like you don't just show up with all the rules of baseball and that's it forever. They change all the time. And if this is what they're adamant about wanting to change, they'll make those rule changes. It's just this rule in particular, it's not consequential either way. And I don't care. Like, it's not like this is pass interference or something that, you know, is a, a glaring issue. It's baseball avoiding the things that are glaring issues and just fucking picking lint out of their pockets and saying it's art and it's like hey come watch us for this all that i think we can both agree on yeah all right uh next rule change high a teams will implement a rule which was in play in 2019 oh so this is another atlantic league rule um pitchers will be required to disengage the rubber completely before throwing to any base so the idea behind this i guess is to make it harder for pitchers to perform pickoffs because all it had to be previously was you couldn't um, wherever you stepped with your lead leg had to be where you threw. So you as a pitcher couldn't wind up and then step towards home and then throw towards first because that was seen as too duplicitous um, and would otherwise be a bulk. Now what's the, what's the name of that rule? What's the player that they named it after? I don't have a player they named it after. Uh, the, the, some player, it, like it was named after, because that's like the move he would do. He would just stand there, not move his feet, and just throw it to like third or something. Oh, no matter. idea. Doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's a real that, that what you just described is a very common thing for lefty pickoff attempts because you're like you're the open side of your body is facing first staring. base. Yeah. Um, 
but Andy Pettit did this a lot. Um, it's a yeah, really common move. So what this is saying is that not only do you have to not step uh, or step towards the, the direction you're throwing, you must also remove your back foot. So you'll probably get, I'm going to assume some more kind of jumpy throws out of pitchers as they try to adjust both feet simultaneously. Um, this is another rule I don't give a shit about, yeah. but I'm picturing a QB the way a QB moves his feet in the pocket where yeah. he just basically hops and moves them parallel in unison. It, this isn't going to affect really anything. Yeah, I mean, it, for a guy also, like Bartolo Colon, who's just not going to do it anymore because he's not full of feet, and he also doesn't play MLB anymore, so it's a really shitty example. Would you rather have more pickoffs or fewer pickoffs? Fewer. If they really want to make a difference, no pickoffs, no leads, no pickoffs. Just fuck it. No leads because they're going to kill the stolen base. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Um. Well. That brings actually up. Uh, that brings us to the next rule. So for low A, pitchers will be limited to two step offs or pickoff attempts per plate appearance. If a pitcher tries a third pickoff attempt in a plate appearance, the move will be considered a balk unless the runner is successfully picked off. That's outrageous. That's what you that's wanted. Fucking bullshit. Well, no, because that's now giving. Okay, after two tries. You can have a massive lead because unless he's certain he can pick you off, he's not going to do it. So I think what this is, is this is a, a rule in the same vein as the uh, mound visit rule, which is before they limited the number of mound visits to it was six. And I want to say they lowered it to five. Um, what a lot of pitchers sure. would do if they were at like the end of their uh, outing, but the guy in the bullpen wasn't ready yet is they would just like have endless mound visits until the guy in the bullpen was ready to come out. And then they just sub the pitcher. And what you get today is you get like, a, and you'll hear it. If you listen to baseball commentary, as the game is happening, uh, you'll get a pitcher who just throws a fuck ton of pickoff attempts to just burn time until uh, the guy in the bullpen's ready to come out. And I'm assuming it's to mitigate that. Um, I don't really know what to make of it because you're right. On the one hand, if you get a guy who is genuinely trying to steal and you only get two pickoff attempts after you throw that second one, shit's going to get real fucking dicey. Um, especially yeah. if you get a runner at third, who's trying to do this. Um, Cause don't forget you can send runners back to, to third. If you have a, a third baseman covering the bag, um, this could be real wacky, real weird. Um, wacky but wacky. I, I don't know if this will be good or bad. I get I get this rule to a large extent um, because seeing like three to five pickoff attempts in a row without any pitches in between is very oh, boring. Um, it's fucking the worst. Yeah, it's just it's just not fun at all. Um, so I get it from that perspective, but you're mm. right. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna we're gonna have to see how it actually shakes out. Uh, anyway. In low A, southeast only, select games will use an automatic ball strike system. Oh, wait. I actually care about that. Robo umps are you coming said, to affiliated you, ball. You said, like, in low A, southeast only. It's like, how deep are we getting with this? I don't give a shit. But no, robo umps is cool. I'm excited for robo umps. Robo umps, good. 
Yeah, I'm assuming they're saying select games so that you so that players won't know which games have robo umps versus natural umps because part of the the idea is not that there is like some grand imaging system behind the plate that says what it is. It's that the umps will have something in their pocket that vibrates when it's a strike and doesn't vibrate when it's a ball, and that's their key to know what to call. Um, so I'm assuming they're saying select games so that the players won't know and won't behave any differently. Now, are we going to have to change the Angel Hernandez uh, call percentage rule in order to make up for the fact that he is now a robo ump? To no, because he, he will still blow every call on the base paths. He'll be like, oh, I didn't <laughs> it, phantom vibrate. I don't know. Oh, sorry. Oh it was God, a text message. Phantom, imagine like a, a who was it? Guadalajara had the perfect game ruined by the no call or like the call safe. Yeah. Uh, Galagos, Galaragos, uh, some shit yeah, like that. Like yeah. That. Um, imagine a, a blown perfect game on a phantom vibrate. Well, imagine, imagine Ump left his phone in his pocket on vibrate. <laughs> like someone starts calling strike, strike, him. Strike, strike. Oh, I'm strike, gonna strike, call. strike. <laughs> I haven't thrown the ball yet. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, or the thing dies halfway through the game, and he just never calls a strike again. <laughs> Shit! I guess these are all right out. down the middle, and it's like I am a robo ump. I'm doing what you wanted me to do. Oh, good, 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 good. All right, there's one rule change left, um, and that is in low A West only. Teams will add timers to enforce time between pitches inning breaks and pitching changes. Um, so I don't have the, what those times are, but I think those are all also good rules. Um, timers between pitches yeah. is honestly a thing that already exists in the minor leagues. That's not new at all, but time between inning breaks and pitching changes, I think is new. I haven't heard of those before. And those also seem to make some level of sense. Um, I'm not sure how much they're going to affect things, because I am pressed to think of a time that I've ever really felt an inning change or felt a pitching change in terms of raw time. But um, it might be interesting just for baseball's own accounting. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember it being a big deal and we talked about it when the, the pitch clock came into effect and, and whatnot. But, you know, once again, it's like three, four years down the road. Is it going to matter at all? Like, is it going to be something that anyone notices at all? No. I mean, colleges yeah. have been doing it forever, and the minor leagues have been doing it for years. Like, there's no way that – um, who's a young guy? Um, Both pretty young. No, no. I mean, who's a young pitcher? Chris Paddock. There's no way Chris Paddock hasn't played his entire career up until he got to the Padres with a pitching clock. There's just no way. Like yeah. – and and – from what I have read, most young pitchers, because they came up with a pitching clock, basically throw like they have a pitch. Like their time between pitches is essentially, um, it's like built in that distance uh, uh, between pitches, that amount of time, because they're so used to having uh, the time enforced. So. It might not even. It, right. It's not going to. Might not be an issue, but it'll it'll probably be so much of a non-issue by the time it eventually should and will make it to the major leagues. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. So I think that's it for the rule changes. Um, there's some more in this article that I have here from Baseball America, but it's just kind of, kind of background into what those rule changes are. Um, it's I I am that thing. That's the one of the fun parts about baseball. It is a very very simple sport that often changes its rules in an attempt to better itself, and I think that is admirable and right, which is why it is frustrating when they make certain rule changes as opposed to others. Um, it's what's interesting here is that they're not experimenting with lowering the mound at all or moving it back, which is two ideas that have come up over the past few years that I think might have some more impact towards what they're getting at. Um, not that moving the mound back will, I don't think it would, but it'd be interesting to see them try it again. I know it'd been talked about previously. Um, I would rather their rule changes be based in something more real as opposed to the shift one where it's counterproductive towards progression and something that teams can't strategize around in the same way they can strategize around certain hitters by implementing defensive positioning. But it is these types of articles or, you know, experiments in the game is another fun way to kind of have a forward looking view on what baseball is going to be down the road. We'll probably be seeing the DH be universal next season. That's going to be pretty exciting for not just AL fans who get to stop listening to NL fans um, lie and say that the DH is fun or the pitcher hitting is fun. Um, and it'll be more fun I'm for an NL fan and, and I fucking hate it. Yeah, you good. You should, because it's so much worse for your team, not even for run creation, just like joy. Yeah. You know how much better it's going to be for Francisco, not Francisco Lindor, for um, Fernando Tatis Jr. to have days where he can DH and not play shortstop to keep him fresh for longer throughout the season. It's great. It's great knowing that you can get kind of like a half day of rest in there. Oh, no, we won't see Madison Garner's like half a home run every year while he bats 150. Yeah, right. No. Such we won't have life. that one Bartolo Colon meme that we are holding on to for dear life because that's the only really spectacular pitcher hitting moment in, in our lives. Because that's the last time Mets fans were happy. Oh, True. Fuck the Mets. Uh, yeah, fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. Uh, all right, so then I guess we'll probably <laughs> leave it there. Um, we are We owe you our bold predictions at some point soon. Uh, we have a few weeks, so we'll craft them up and get them out at some point, but um, we'll figure out, <laughs> we'll figure that out when it happens. Um, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at choosing pod. If you want to follow uh, me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D Tracy. If you want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller, right? Probably. I think so. Um, and if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. If you want to check out these videos on YouTube, fucking Google it, bitch. I, I don't remember that goddamn URL. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and until... we even signed yet? <laughs> like how, how are we even on a, a world record setting podcast group? Fuck it. Yeah. Do it yourself. Dude, I ain't your fucking dad. You figure that shit out, bitch. Uh... <laughs> Anyway. I'm not your dad, but I am your dad. Hated that. Uh, un yeah, we're gone. Until Thursday. Y'all have a good one. Bye.